Welcome to the Shiloh Couples panel night. I'm Brooke McCollum. I'm one of the team leaders here, and um, we're just really thankful that you would entrust your time to us. Um, we always say this is, um, we just want to acknowledge that it's difficult to attend something like this. If you've walked in the doors here, that means you're walking through something hard and um, sensitive, and maybe there's no one in your immediate circle or life or family that kind of understands what you're going through. Um, but we're grateful that in a body of this size, um, that, that, that these circumstances that none of us would have chosen for ourselves have brought us together and um, that we want to encourage one another and um, point each of you in whatever you're walking through to a God who sees and cares about um, the loss you've experienced or um, the season of longing or waiting or just confusion um, and how this, um, the journey of infertility and or miscarriage um, is affecting your view of, of God and what his purposes might be for you. And as generally, I always say Shiloh is um, this, the work we do here and um, the way we study God's word together. Um, it's just, it's the study for when life is not going the way you planned. And I, I doubt any of you um, expected this to be part of your journey. And so um, we're not glad you're here, but we're glad you're not at home wondering if you're the only one that's um, asked these same questions, um, who maybe is struggling in their marriage um, due to these circumstances. And so we do wanna welcome you here and um, I'll pray and then we'll do some um, introductions and, and get started. So um, will you pray with me? Um, I thank you, Lord, that um, your word validates the, um, the loss and the pain that we experience. Um, whether we've lost a baby to miscarriage, um, and, and you, your word tells us that that life is precious and that it is right to grieve. Um, and um, whether we're struggling with infertility, um, your word speaks to that also and, and tells us that um, um, there is a desire you've put in us um, to be able to, to um, have children. And so there's a loss there, um, even um, when pregnancy doesn't occur. And it um, we just don't, know what your plan is for our family. And so we thank you that um, you long to meet us, um, that you were not a distant God. Um, we thank you that you provide your word um, and that you um, provide for believers your spirit and that you long for us to be community to one another, um, to mourn with those who mourn and to rejoice with those who rejoice. And um, we just acknowledge that um, we can't do this on our own and that we uh, need desperately to um, hear from you and to know that you are, are personal and involved and that you have a plan for us. And we wanna trust that um, no plan of yours can be thwarted. And so um, I pray for these participants here tonight that you would just um, comfort them, um, that you would meet them personally, that there would be something shared tonight um, that would encourage them um, to trust you in the midst of um, circumstances that are not of their choosing. And um, I just thank you that you are the God of all comfort and that you comfort us and that then you long for us to comfort one another with the comfort that we've received from you. And so I pray for the, um, the couples that um, are serving tonight on the panel by sharing or leading discussions at the table um, would just um, 
pour into the um, participants here that need to, to need to be reminded of your goodness and your purposes, even in the midst of difficult seasons. And so um, we pray for any couples that may still be trying to get here tonight, that you would um, just help them um, make it here and that um, we know that you long to meet us. And so we welcome you and um, we thank you for all the preparations that happened in order for us to meet here tonight. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Okay. Um, I want to acknowledge, or acknowledge um, not acknowledge, but recognize this group is made up of w women and possibly husbands as well that have gone through our core 10-week Bible study that just wrapped up. Um, so raise your hand if you've just participated in either the women's or the men's study. Awesome. Okay, so those groups are sitting here. All right, awesome. And then um, we always open this evening to um, just couples that um, are in the body or have heard about Watermark's ministry here and, and participated. So, um, uh, and then raise your hand if you are, it should be obvious because you're wearing a t-shirt, but if you are a team leader in Shiloh, just, yeah. Okay. So these are couples, um, some of whom you'll hear speak tonight, some of whom you might visit with at a table, but if there's just anyone that you're um, wanting to visit with after we close up, that's, um, that's great. That's what we're here for. And um, I just wanted to share this, um, the, the women and men serving in Shiloh, um, the reason we do this is to, to share with you the comfort that we've received from the Lord and to encourage other couples who are facing infertility and loss. Um, as you hear these stories, you'll hear um, just really um, m meaningful ways in which prayers have been answered and babies and children have been added to these families. Um, but there are also many prayers that, um, that many of us are still praying expectantly and trusting God with the outcome. And so um, it's not that we've conquered and arrived at this other place where hard things aren't hard, but the common thread you're gonna hear with the um, couples that share tonight is just you're gonna hear about how Christ is sufficient and meets us in the midst of our, our grief over our infertility and loss. And the truths that we learn through studying God's word in Shiloh um, are, are truths we need to hear in this season. And they're also um, truths that we need to battle whatever season is coming next, um, whatever that next battle may be. So um, without much more ado, I'm going to walk you briefly through the timeline for the evening, and then we'll get to hear from our panelists. Um, so there'll be a time where each of them can introduce um, themselves and share a bit of their story. And then at 7.45, oh, 7.25, you'll be able to talk amongst your um, table mates. And um, again, we want this to be an encouragement to you. And if, if sharing is not where you are tonight and you want to be um, a participant and a listener, that's okay too. Um, but you know, we'd love, we'd love for you to feel comfortable in sharing and just discussing some of the questions that come up at your table. And at 7.50, we'll reconvene the panel and do some follow-up and questions. And we also want um, you to feel welcome. We can ask, you know, if open the floor if there are any specific questions that you want answered. If there's anything you hear as they share their story initially and you just know you're not going to raise your hand and ask that question, um, you can tell the Shiloh leader at your table, you can write down your question or you just share with them and say, hey, will you, 
Will you submit this up here? And I'll make sure we get them to talk about that. And then we'll close up, and we, we, we do aim to be prompt, so we'll be out of here at, at 8.30. But if there's anyone you want to visit with, um, feel free to do that. Snag somebody afterwards. So um, anything else? Did I miss anything? Okay. All right. Okay, Doug Johnson. We're going to start with you down there. Hello, my name is Doug Johnson. Um, my wife is not here tonight. She was not feeling well. Um, but we have been married for seven years. And around the three-year mark is when we started trying to conceive. Um, and so we wanted to, you know, you know we, we got married. We wanted to do some traveling. And um, we decided, okay, now is the time to start a family. And we thought, okay, this is going to be easy. We know lots of people that have gotten pregnant right away. Um, and Kirsten's mom and sister had got pregnant right away or an accident. Um, but as sort of month after month, we got three months in, six months in, nothing was happening. We had no positive pregnancy results. Um, Kirsten started to get worried, and we decided to go see the OB. And I think um, she felt like something was off given her family history. Um, I was staying positive and ever optimistic, like, oh, don't worry, it's not infertility until the year mark, like, there's no problems, like, let's just be patient and wait. And um, I think nine months in, in the spring of that year, uh, we actually just decided to go through Shiloh because this was weighing on Kirsten's heart so much, and I went through the men's study, Gilo, and um, that was just such a huge benefit to us to meet other couples who had gone sort of before us, who had um, been through infertility and sort of really changed our perspective on it, but we were still sort of in this really hard um, trial. Um, and that continued. We made it to the year mark after doing some like medicated cycles through, I don't know what the pills are, but um, through some of the medicated cycles, through lots of testing, there was no sort of answers. So at the year mark, we got referred to a RE and um, had a lot of processing to do around what's going to be sort of our next decision. Um, we decided and sort of took things in a three-month time frame, like three months at a time, we'd plan out like, okay, this is what we're going to do for the next three months. And we did that probably for, really that went on for another, I don't know, year of whether it was IUI cycles or surgery, um, Kirsten went through like a laparoscopic surgery for endometriosis. Um, all of that sort of turned out with no answers, no positive pregnancy tests, no problems. So we were just in this totally unexplained infertility um, situation. Um, at that point, it was, uh, I think, becoming, it was in a sense becoming more and more difficult with all of the knows from not only just naturally trying, but through medically trying too. It became really hard and even hard just relating with others, I think, is a big part of our story. And then also being on the same page as far as like, what are we going to do? Uh, you know, we had sort of different viewpoints on where we wanted to go medically versus at what point do maybe we seek out adoption or how do we try to grow our family? So um, I think our community group helped us a lot and we sought out um, counsel from them, as well as through other people who had gone through uh, infertility before us. Um, and really, in the end, we decided to go through IVF cycle. So we actually created eggs, and we froze our eggs and fertilized through two cycles. 
but ended up with no sort of um, embryos that were successfully implanted. So after that, Kirsten was sort of at an end, and um, we decided that after this much time, and um, let me step back, we actually did go through uh, the intro to adoption class. We went to the first class here at Watermark and um, probably, I don't know, a year before this point in time, um, and decided that adoption wasn't, like we weren't quite ready to take that step to do adoption and wanted to try. That's sort of what led us to the IVF step. Um, but sort of after that second failed transfer, uh, we both sort of got on the same page to, to pursue adoption. Um, so that was in the, I'm trying to think of the years now. So it's 23, 23, 21. And, and sort of like uh, February of 21, we went through, started the adoption process, went to um, an agency introduction, filled out all the paperwork, and were um, listed with our agency in October of that year. And I'd say like that process was a lot of conversation, a lot of prayer, a lot of trying to get on the same page about how we were feeling with adoption. Because like I said, we were sort of um, going in different um, patterns as far as who was ready for what, like whether we were ready for IVF or were we ready for adoption. One of us might have been ready at one point and not ready at another point. And so through these conversations and through processing with our community group, we did get on the same page with adoption. Um, and actually shortly after we got listed, I believe like a month and a half after we got listed, we actually got a call from a birth mother that said, uh, you know, do you want to be the parents of my children? And she said she had twins. So we got to walk through with birth mom through that. And um, last year, a year ago, uh, we brought our twins home. Um, so they're now a year old. Um, but yeah, I would say like a, a lot of our story was getting on the same page being both sort of green lights on whatever decision we were going to take next and really God softening our hearts to um, be open to adoption and being open to that step of growing our family. So we still sit in a situation where we're like, will we ever get pregnant naturally? We don't really know. We don't know really what the Lord's plan, what the Lord has for us next. Um, but we pray and, and hope that um, whatever it is, uh, we, we can trust him. Thank you. Hello. Um, I'm Jessica, and this is my husband, Patrick, and we've been married for nine years. And um, probably a year or so into it, we um, kind of got the, we want to have a baby bug, and all of our friends in our community group were doing it, so why shouldn't we? And so we started trying, and um, trying didn't go very well. So um, month after month, same story, um, passed by, and uh, we weren't getting pregnant. And so um, we did, uh, probably about the year point, start... Um, going to the doctor, seeking answers, and uh, we were initially told on both sides just unexplained infertility. Um, and I started having a really hard time um, with all of my friends around me getting pregnant, especially our community group um, here at Watermark, and um, 
did the Shiloh study, and that was in the fall of 2016. And um, when I came to the Shiloh study, um, one of um, one of the first things we read is First Samuel chapter one, which is Hannah's story of infertility. And um, if you haven't read it, again, First Samuel chapter one, write it down, go read it tonight or tomorrow morning. And um, it's just, I'm just so happy that this is in the Bible. Um, it just helped me. Uh, know that God saw me in my pain and understood um, that this was a normal uh, pain and grief to have. Um, He could see that it was difficult to relate to others. Um, And um, one of the things um, that uh, Patrick and I were kind of simultaneously going through during Shiloh, we were trying IUI and it wasn't working. And um, we were also processing adoption at that time. And uh, Patrick We'll probably fill in the holes here, but Patrick was adopted. So um, for us, that was kind of a quicker and more natural consideration. It's something we'd talked about before we got married. Hey, maybe we'll adopt at some point, you know, after we have our own. So anyway, uh, that was kind of going on simultaneously. And um, reading um, 1 Samuel chapter 1, one of the things that really stuck out to me was at the end um, of the story, Hannah does get pregnant and give birth to Samuel. Um, But she uh, gives him back to the Lord. Um, And uh, that was very symbolic for me to just understand that, hey, whether I have a child and it's a biological child or whether I have a child that we adopt, Um, that child's not mine. Um, And it kind of reversed my focus on um, what was the point? Why did I want to become a mom so bad? Um, And so with that, um, I think both of us were were praying and, and God was moving our hearts that at that time we were at the crossroads of, you know, do we pursue IVF uh, or do we pursue adoption? And um, for us, uh, we felt like God was calling us to pursue adoption. So we stopped fertility treatments um, and we started the adoption process. And um, while we were waiting, we um, did end up getting pregnant but had a miscarriage. Um, and, uh, that was really tough. And, um, I had to have a DNC procedure. Um, but at the same time, we got a call from, um, from our agency about, um, a birth mother who was expecting and, um, and she chose us. And so in my mind, I was convinced that, well, this is, this is the kind of replacement child God had for me. Well, about a week after that DNC, that baby was born We were at the hospital, and I was in the delivery room, and we took care of that baby for 48 hours and fed him and named him, and when it came time to sign the papers, she changed her mind and decided to parent, and so that just felt like the biggest slap in the face, Um, and it was was just a very hard time. It makes me emotional to talk about it now, Um, and um, this ministry was so great, and we even we were just talking to Brooke about how we came back to this room to a panel night during that, and um, just how great it was to have this community and to be reminded that God saw us in our pain and that He had a p- good plan for us. And so, um, soon thereafter, we got a call, another call from our agency, and um, we were matched again. And this time, um, it did work out. And so, in December of 2017. Our Samuel was born, and so um, we adopted Samuel, and he is five years old now, 
Um, and we have an open adoption, which is a whole other thing because um, we could talk about this stuff for literally hours. So I'm going to try to lock it up. But um, <laughs> You know, uh, that was that was a big thing for us um, to kind of uh, get used to that idea. Um, but again, just going back to the story of Hannah, like children are not ours. And so that really helped me to just process um, the good in open adoption. Um, and it has been really good. And that like he's not just mine. And um he also has a birth mother, and she's part of our lives. So um, that's been great. Um, after Samuel was born, very shortly thereafter, we got pregnant again and lost that baby as well. And then when he was about six months old, right after we finalized his adoption, we found out again that we were pregnant, and we miscarried again. And so um, we were going back to our reproductive endocrinologist's why? Why is this happening? And no one could give us answers. So we sought out um, a new doctor, a different kind of doctor. Um, it's called Napro Technology. Again, I could talk about that for hours, but if you're interested, go Google it. Um, but anyway, we saw this doctor up in McKinney and um, went through the whole testing thing again. Patrick was like, this feels like we're just doing the same thing. I don't want to do it again, but we did it. And... Um, he was the first person to say, hey, you've got issues. Here's what they are. And to, that felt like a win to me, just to have some sort of answer. Um, so we tried more treatments over six months. Um, we didn't get pregnant, and he encouraged me to get another laparoscopy. Um, and this time, um, when he, he did the procedure, um, he rallied and was like, you just got to do it to feel like you did everything you could. So we did it. And he found a ton of endometriosis, and he removed it. Um, and the next month, we conceived Isabel. And so um, that was our little medical miracle baby, and um, was just so grateful for that um, because we had truly kind of resigned ourselves to like, hey, this you know Samuel might might be our only kid. Um, and so um, after that, um, we just thought, you know. We got our two kids. We got a boy and a girl. We're, we're, we're done. We're good to go. And um, the Lord blessed us again with another pregnancy shortly thereafter. Um, and so we had Lydia, and she's two now. So um, that was crazy during the pandemic, um, but uh, just a wonderful blessing. And so it is really interesting now. Most people who would meet us and say, oh, you've got kids, and they're five and three and two, they would never guess that we walked the path that we did to um, have these children, but um, we certainly don't take it for granted. They're hard, but they're such a blessing. And um, we're just so grateful, not only that God answered our prayers for children, but that he um, walked through such a painful and difficult journey. Um, would you add anything? Good. <laughs> um. Hello, my name is Susie Literal, and my husband's actually in the back. Um, but uh, so we have been married for 12 years, and about five years into marriage, we decided that we were ready to start growing our family. And we were one of those couples that got pregnant right away, had a baby, everything was just perfect. And so about when our oldest was one, we thought, well, let's just do this again. All of our friends are having their seconds, and so we should too. 
and um, we got pregnant again um, after a month or two, and um, everything seemed, I you know, I had no concerns, no worries in the world, um, and then we had a miscarriage at 10 weeks, um, and I think that just, like, burst my bubble of, like, oh, this isn't going the way I wanted it to go, and I was, like, angry and frustrated, but then also in the back of my mind, like, really grew closer to the Lord that, that during that time, and, like, this is, this happens to a lot of people. I'm not the only one. It won't happen again. We'll, we'll keep trying, and so we, um, over the next year, year and a half, we got pregnant um, three more times and had three more miscarriages from all of those, and so after I, um, after our fourth miscarriage, we were referred to a reproductive endocrinologist, and that's when I went through the study. I um, can look back and, like, I remember seeing the Shiloh study in the Watermark News. We were not thinking about having kids at the time, and I remember seeing it in there, and I was like, man, that's so great that they have a ministry for people that struggle with this. Like, I won't ever do that, but... I think it's awesome that they provide that. Um, and it took me so much heartache to finally say, like, my loss is enough. And I think looking back, that's not, not, I wouldn't say it's a regret, but looking back, I could have saved myself a lot of, like, pain and grief that I went through alone if I had only done this study sooner. Because um, I thought, like, my grief had to be, had to have enough loss to get to that point, and that was just such a lie that I was believing. Um, but so during, I would say during that year of all the losses, um, I struggled. I learned that I struggled with control a lot, um, and I learned in the study. My one of my biggest takeaways was like I was had such a like deep prayer life with the Lord, and then. After the third miscarriage, I kind of just took things into my own hands, and I just was like, I'm praying, but you're not answering my prayers, so why am I praying? What What is the point of all of this? Um, and going through the study, it really taught me, like, I can bring my problems to the Lord. I can um, share what I'm struggling with. I can feel this immense peace at times that, like, is only from the Lord, and I shouldn't be feeling this way at all. Um, and I think the study just gave me so much peace in a lot of that. Like I can sit in my grief. I can be joyful with my other son that I do have. I can, um, I can feel all these emotions and that's okay. Um, you re we read through so many stories of people that are like in this immense grief, but praising the Lord, like Hannah, like they're doing it. It's not just one or the other. Um, and so that brought me a lot of like peace during the study. Um, so we did, we started seeing reproductive endocrinologist. I had a laparoscopy surgery to kind of just check some things out. We didn't have a lot of um, specific issues that were wrong with either one of us. We were just having miscarriages. Um, and so they recommended that we do IVF, which was something that we were very strongly against, mainly because we had never had trouble getting pregnant. Um, and so we knew their, what they were pushing for us to do was to do IVF so that we could create embryos, we could 
grade the embryos and like only use the good ones so that we wouldn't be going through this if we're only using the good ones. And that was our like, we, we don't want to do that. That goes against like our belief that life begins at conception and like, well, yes, I would like control of this. I know that that is ultimately like not my choice to make in those things. So um, we said no to that, did some surgery, and then we got pregnant with triplets on our own um, a few months after my surgery and went in for our first appointment quite shocked, honestly, but um, also like, we'll figure it out. And uh, we knew they were all pretty small for our first appointment. Um, we ended up losing two of the babies at like eight and 14 or 15 weeks, I think. Um, but we did um, deliver our second son um, from that pregnancy. And um, I feel like during that pregnancy, I was, I was serving in Shiloh and it was great to hear other people's stories and really get back into the study because I struggled a lot with anxiety and just fear. And I didn't connect with my pregnancy at all because I was just, um, well, I've lost all these other babies at this point. Like, it's not guaranteed that I'm going to deliver a healthy, live child. Like, that's not guaranteed. And I knew that. Um, but I also look back, I had these moments of, like, great joy. But the majority of my time was really spent um, just mm -hmm. in fear. And, like, having... I could, I had to take it day by day. And I think that's what like Shiloh helped me really do was like have the verses, have the scripture, have the people so that I don't have to sit back and think, how am I going to get through six months of this? Um, I can just go day by day. Um, so we have two boys since our second son was born. We've had one miscarriage since then. Um, and for us, we, um, because like back when we were having miscarriages, we also fostered for a while. And so we, um, which we loved, um, and it was great to just relinquish that control and foster. Um, and so after our last miscarriage, we kind of decided um, that that, like the chapter for biological kids for us has closed. And, um, and I don't know what that will look like foster-wise for us in the future. Um, but I, um, I learned a lot about myself and our struggle, and mm -hmm. I still struggle with control. So still refining every day. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Um, I'm Kelsey, and this is my husband, Zach. Um, I was sitting here trying to calculate how long I've been married. So 2012, so we're going on 11, 12 years here. Um, our story is a lot um, very similar to some of the other panelists and then also a few different things. Um, so I'll kind of give the, try to give the short version here. Um, we kind of similar to our friends here, you know, got married and kind of did our own thing for a year or two. Um, my husband was in grad school, so we thought, okay, when he's done with grad school, we will start a family and, and it will be fine. And no one in our family had ever mentioned issues getting pregnant or loss, and so we thought it would be easy. Um, probably a year goes by, and kind of the same thing that they mentioned, kind of what well, this is, seems a little bit odd to be going several months with actually like trying and, you know, like tracking everything out and not getting pregnant. And so 
we go to the OB and she puts me on Clomid, just a normal kind of medication. Um, that doesn't work. And so probably six months down the line, we're thinking, okay, this is a little bit odd. Um, and then she starts doing all the different types of testing. Everything's coming back clear. Um, his test came back clear, so we were similar to our other panelists, um, unexplained infertility. They couldn't tell us anything was wrong with us, and so they didn't really understand why we were getting pregnant. Um, and then a few months later, we moved back to Dallas from Houston, and at that point, we decided, let's go ahead and move on from the OB to a reproductive endocrinologist, an, an RE. Um, we started seeing a doctor here in Dallas, and we did three rounds of IUI. That didn't work, and so at that point, we were feeling, you know, probably two and a half years into it and feeling pretty defeated that and we didn't really understand what was going on and why this was happening to us. And so we kind of decided to have like a sit down conference with our doctor and just kind of tell her like, we're feeling emotionally and financially and physically drained and kind of tell us what your thoughts are and what we should do next. And so after that kind of sit down conference with her, she kind of went through everything and said, you know, I feel like IVF would be the next step for you guys, given all of your tests have come back clear. And um, at this point, thankfully, God's sovereignty aligned the timing to where around the time we were having these conversations is when I decided to sign up for the Shiloh study. And so as we were having these really hard conversations with our doctor on like what IVF would look like for us, um, how did scripture speak into that and how we would spend our finances and our time and how we would go through the whole IVF, IVF process lined up going through the study, um, which was super helpful for both of us. Gilo was not around at the time, um, so Zach didn't have anybody to connect with, but um, it was just good to, for us to have the resource, and I know at the time I was able to kind of take some of the hard questions that the doctor was asking us on IVF and embryos and fertilizing and freezing and kind of take them back to the team and our leaders at the time and process all of that. Um, um, so now we've, you know, the church has kind of come to... Um, realize we need resources, so we have those available, and we're also available to chat with anybody that has questions around that topic. Um, so we, thankfully, the first time we did IVF, got pregnant with our daughter, Ellie, who is now almost seven, which is crazy. Um, and then shortly after that, so she was seven, between birth and six weeks old, I started having what I didn't realize at the time were partial seizures, and when she was seven weeks old, I was diagnosed with brain cancer. And then, so I was basically told once I started treatment that I would not be able to carry again. And so as soon as I finished treatment, we're now fast forward to February of 2018. I was ready to go. I felt like, you know, I had battled this. I had come up against cancer and we'd come out on the other side. And by golly, I wanted another, another kid. And Zach, I feel like I wasn't... Um, on this, we weren't on the same page. He just said, honey, like we've been through a traumatic life event. Like I need some time. Um, I just want to like enjoy going a couple trips and not have a major life event for a little bit. So um, as we mentioned before that the green lights, we both were not green lights. And so we, with community, both decided it's not time to start um, adding to our family. So we took a little break, went on some trips um, and kind of enjoyed um, post chemo radiation life for a little while. And then at that point, after being told I should not carry again because it could cause the cancer to grow, um, we decided to go to the intro to foster and adopt class. Um, we went through that, and I feel like we both kind of felt like we, 
were um, into it, but not really sold on the idea. Um, but we knew that like that was something that God might be calling us to. So we finished the class, took some time to process, and then we realized we, we were ready to do it. And so we decided to pursue domestic adoption. Um, I'm missing a part. <laughs> yes, yes, sorry. Thank you. Um, so many things happened in our story. Um, so if you back up, so between this is the foster to adopt class was probably spring of 19. So between 18 and 19, when he wasn't ready to like exactly start a family, like by um, adoption or anything at that point, we decided, well, we, when we went through the IVF process, we decided that we did not want to freeze embryos. We froze eggs. And so we had these eggs and we thought, well, we have Zach that can help with the eggs. So we went through two cycles of IVF with the eggs that I had frozen during my IVF cycle in 2015. Um, we found a surrogate and thought all was well, and it was going to go, you know, just easy breezy. We would have a baby from um, this cycle with her, and um, we both times, we did two rounds of IVF, both times the embryo started to grow, and then did not grow out into full blastocyst to transfer, which to us felt like a loss because in our minds that they are formed at conception. And so for us, it, we would get really excited and attached to these embryos and think, this is the one, they're going to be great. And then they would call us, you know, five days later and say, you know, in their mind, I don't think that they felt like it was a passing, but it was just that they'd stopped growing. And so I feel like we mourned the loss of those embryos because that was kind of our last shot at um, growing our biological family. And so back to getting back on track. So that, you know, we kind of mourned that process, took a break, did the adoption class, decided that we could do it. And then um, we really were not on the same page on um, kind of what cases we were open to with domestic adoption. So that's a big part of our story is our eyes were kind of open to all of the things that come along with adoption and how some of the heavy topics that you'll see. And so we kind of, again, we go red light, green light, red light, green light. And it took us a while to get to the same, being on the same page on what we were willing to accept with all of the domestic adoption and things that come around that topic. Um, we almost had given up in the fall of 2020. We had said, if we don't um, get any cases or get matched after a few failed matches, the fall of 2020, that we would just kind of realize this wasn't God's plan for us and we would try again later. And in August of 2020, we got a call on a Friday night. The little baby boy was born um, in Dallas. We literally picked him up two days later and we, our family jokes, he's the drive through baby. Picked him up um, at Presby in August of 2020 because of COVID. Yeah, the hospital, um, Presby was shut yeah. down. And so we couldn't go inside. So they brought him down to us. So it really, um, our little son was this, um, this precious little gift to us in August of 2020. And so he's now um, two and a half. So, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So much. I mean, I've heard these four families, I've heard these stories so many times and they never get old because it's just... I mean, hearing y'all share about how God inter intervened and guided y'all through all of those things. So we're gonna, there's a lot there that we'll come back to in questions, kind of how this all fleshed out and what the highs and lows were along the way. But for now, we'll take a break and you'll get to visit with your table leaders. And then we will resume here up on stage at 7.50. Okay, I will, I will let our, our panelists um, decide who wants to share this first, but just to open things off. And you've addressed some of this, but we'd love to talk about 
kind of the heart, like what, what was it for you? I've heard some of you say control or comparison to others, but just maybe elaborate a little bit on what's the hardest part of what your journey has entailed. And then um, especially highlight the differences between how a husband and a wife, how you each handled those hard things, because no doubt there were differences. So the things that were really hard for me, and I just shared this with my group over here, uh, was just relating to others. Um, everybody was getting pregnant, our community group, everybody was getting pregnant, nobody had any issues, nobody had a miscarriage. It was very difficult. And just like to expand upon what that looked like was baby talk, you know? What are, what are the hot items, you know? Um, like why are we talking about what kind of like bottle nipple to use at community group? Like that was just brutal. Um, and just everything circled back to that even felt like, like I'm a lawyer and I would go to like a professional thing and think like I'm free of this problem right now. Then somebody's like, oh, are you married? Do you have kids? And it's just like, it always came back to that. And so we were just always reminded of what we were going through. Um, so that was, extremely difficult for me and was part of what made me come to Shiloh. And I would say the other thing that was hard for just me personally, um, and yes, I've gone through region for this, still struggling, but just um, kind of through my life, this was the first thing that I think I had worked really, really hard at. Um, like I even got this book that was like taking charge of your infertility, um, control freak. And so, you know, charting and the temperatures and the, oh my gosh, all the, the Googling of all the things it could be and what to try and this supplement. And I was doing every, I mean, we were doing everything on the right days. And so, um, so first time in my life, I just worked so hard at something and was unsuccessful. And that was kind of just for me personally, um, a hard thing to come face to face with. And, um, you know, I think that God allowed me to walk through that um, as a growing opportunity for me um, and to trust him and to remember like, hey, it's, it's, you know, our faith is not on our works and our success is not on our works. Um, and it's his glory uh, to do good things, including uh, making us a parent. So, thanks. Yeah, I'll add <clears throat> real quick from Guy's perspective. Um, this will be no surprise, but it was uh, a challenge to learn how to live with Jess in an understanding way, uh, which is First Peter 3, 7. So that call was um, me trying to figure out uh, how to do that. And I learned very quickly it was not like I wasn't going to sanctify her with my words. <laughs> I wasn't going to get her there by me saying, have you thought about reading your Bible today? Or like, man, this psalm is like really great. Like he's crying in there and you're crying. And like you could read this. And um, I, I learned that it was going to have to be like just listening, like just sitting there. Like this is a, as an example, uh, I hope you don't mind. There was one day that like she came home from work. It was a Friday night and I'm like, this is awesome. We're just going to chill. She comes home and like one of her good friends had just told her she was pregnant and she just goes back to the bedroom and like, I'm sorry. And 
just puts her head in the pillow and starts screaming, like just <laughs> screaming. And I just sitting on the couch and it, like, I'm like, okay, <laughs> this has gotten real. I don't know how to navigate this. Uh, I should probably do something. And like literally just had to go and like lay next to her for a really long time. And then, yeah. And, um, and had to like figure out how to communicate all of this to like friends and family who also didn't understand. Cause like everyone would be like, how come Jessica doesn't want to come to this baby shower? Or, hey, you just had a miscarriage, but we got you Rangers tickets. Why don't you want to come? And like, I have to be like, don't want to be the guy who has to explain all this and like, they're not going to understand. And like, now I want to people please. And like, just, just suck it up. And she doesn't want to do that either. And so that yeah. was uh, a lesson in understanding my yeah. wife. That's good. I'll add one thing. I think the bit, one of the biggest differences like Stephen and I went through and we had to talk about it a lot was like, Physically, I was going through so much. Like physically, I was losing the babies. Physically, I was in pain. Um, like emotionally, you know, I I showed my emotion more than him. I think emotionally, we struggled the same. Um, but I think the hardest part for him a lot of times was I'm crying emotionally, physically, everything hurts, and he's sitting there watching me and like trying to fix. And this is one of those things that like you can't fix. And I, I think we had to learn how to communicate. Like I had to tell him explicitly what I needed him to do. Like, and it may not look the same in every moment that we're walking through. Um, but I had to be like, I need you to listen or I need you to call the doctor. Or, I need like, I had to be very specific about things um, because he is just like, I can remember so many times he's just standing there looking at me like, and he's upset. We're all like, but there's nothing you can do. Um, and I think we had to learn how to like really verbalize how we were feeling. I needed him to tell me like, if I said, if I word vomit when he gets home and tell him this is, these are all the bad things that happened and this is what happened today and so-and-so said this and if I say to him, how was your day? And he says, oh, it's fine. That's not going to cut it. Like I needed him to verbalize. Like if he didn't think about it, okay, I know a lot of guys can, you know, turn those things on and off, but I, I needed like verbalizing like these are the things I thought of and it made me sad or I read this verse and it helped me or I heard this song like I needed more than like good or bad mm -hmm. um and like that wasn't always easy conversations for us but that was a big thing that we had to learn yeah. to do um when we were struggling yeah so I think um for me early on in the process I was busy with work you were, were you still working? No. Um, so we were just kind of running at different speeds and uh, Kelsey had all day to think about whatever treatment we were in or dead end we hit. Mm -hmm. And I could come home and hear about it, but maybe didn't always listen well and engage with you or, or really recognize that you were 
um, pretty upset. And for me, I if, if we got a plan, we'll work the plan. And hey, this this pet, this door didn't open, but we'll work that one, and we'll work that one. And I don't think I was getting um, as discouraged maybe early on. And um, you know, it's I think it just took me a while to have the awareness that I really needed to. Uh, sync up with you and uh, once we did that things were much easier yeah I think <clears throat> at the beginning going to the OB the RE you're getting poked and prodded and asked a zillion questions per really personal questions all the time and I think it just feels very invasive and it's physically demeaning and takes up your time whether you're working or not and it's just it was all consuming for me and to his point as you know as you probably talked about with your tables you process differently and it consumed me. We had um, just moved back to Dallas and already started trying, and so we knew that I wanted to stay home with my children. So I didn't take, didn't get a job because I wanted to be a mom so badly, and so that was just like my life was trying to get pregnant, and so it was all-consuming for me. Whereas he went to work every day and had, you know, provided for our family. Whereas trying to get pregnant was like my eight to five. Um, so it was just hard to kind of get on that same page at five or six o'clock every day. Yeah. Thank y'all, and I think. That's one of the great things that happens in our 10-week study when we get to a sharing part about, I mean, there's a chapter in the When Empty Arms book about this specific topic because many women come in and they've been hitting these dead ends, like they're struggling at home communicating and to be in a space where they can be with a you know, bunch of other women who recognize, oh yeah, that, that dynamic is going on at our home. And it, it, it hopefully, you know, encourages the, you know, it just, it reminds them that it's, it's normal to, to process these things differently. And we each need more community than just our couple. Um, and you need more, expand the circle of people that can speak into what's hard. Um, each of your stories includes many decisions, many forks in the road about what, what to pursue and when to pursue it. So um, those of you that have made really significant decisions about starting and stopping treatment. Um, could you, and then when and if to move forward with adoption, um, could you share how you made those decisions about what treatment to pursue or when it was time to move forward? You know, what resource did you, resources did you use? Was God's word, how did community and um, just fact gathering help play into those really, really weighty decisions? So we've had a number of decisions along the way to make. Um, let me think through them. I think like um, the big ones that we came to were IVF, when to start adoption, and then even more recently, what does continuing to grow our family look like in the future? Um, I'd say for each of them, we sort of approached it in a very similar way. Um, I think we start with prayer, we start with God's word, um, figuring out what does God have to say about the decision we're going to make. We oftentimes will widen our circle with our community group. So even going back to our IVF decision, we actually spent 
sort of uh, took over our whole community group time. We told them, hey, we want to talk about this. We want y'all's wisdom on this and provided them with resources on, hey, here's what IVF is. Here's what it looks like. Here's the decisions that we're trying to make um, around what approach do we take? Or, you know, do we create embryos and freeze them? Do we create eggs and freeze them? Do we not do IVF at all? And um, we got various responses from our group and they really helped point us in the direction. Some people said, you shouldn't do IVF at all. Some people said, um, uh, you know, various different paths. Um, and in addition to that, we also reached out to people on the Shiloh team. Um, so I think the Wolves helped us out. Um, we met with them, we met with other leaders who have um, been here before. I think those three things have been key to all of our decisions is God's word, prayer, community, and other people who have gone through it. So even more recently, um, through this ministry, we were connected to other people who have adopted twins and figuring out, did you adopt again? Should we adopt again? What does that look like? So we know people that have and people that haven't. Um, and so those have just been helpful resources. So. Um, we go through decision-making as part of the Shiloh study. That's one of the weeks. And we walk through, um, was it Blake Holmes' sermon? Um, he's the lead pastor here now. Um, he did a sermon several years ago about um, decision-making and has a, actually a step-by-step -step process for it. And one of um, the thing, well, there's two things that I, I think really brought us to our decision. One was like, do you have all the facts? And so for us, just practically, um, when we were considering um, IVF, we sat down with our reproductive endocrinologist and was like, what does this process look like from A to Z? Walk us through this and ask all of our questions so that um, we know what that involves, what our options are. Hey, can we do this instead of that? Sure, but we believe that your um, chances of conceiving would be lower if you, you know, limited the number of embryos you made or something like that. Helpful information to know, should we go forward? Um, how much does it cost? Those things. Um, and then we did the same thing. We started researching um, adoption agencies, and we actually sat down with the director of the agency we ended up using, um, and she spent, gosh, probably over an hour with us one-on-one, -on -one, which was awesome, to just really help us understand all of the aspects of adoption. Um, what does it look like for it to be open versus closed, and what does that mean? Because um, it can be a broad spectrum of things, and um, you know, what kind of choices do we have as far as what we're open to and what we're not open to? Um, again, what does the cost look like, and um, the timeline, and um, and the legal aspects of it? What risk is there? So. Um, I think having all of the facts um, is crucial to making these very important decisions. And then the other thing, um, one of the last uh, steps that Blake Holmes has in his sermon is, um, is there a better option? And I remember our foundation uh, group leaders uh, used to say, there can be good choices and then better choices and then the best choice. And so, um, you know, maybe uh, one option would be uh, continuing to pursue biological children. But for us in that season, we felt like the better option of what God was calling us to was to pursue adoption. 
that was that was what uh, the Lord was pressing upon our hearts, and we were united in that, and so that's what we chose for our family at the time. I love that. That sermon's available through the Watermark app. Um, oh, it's back here as well. There's a handout going through the questions. The sermon title is Should I? And it really is, yeah, yeah. It's many, it's over a decade old. It's, it's just, it's a great guideline for any decision you're processing. Um, okay, and I want to piggyback on a couple of these things because for many of you, adoption is a step that you feel felt like God was leading to you to after um, treatment. Um, in my family's case, um, we pursued adoption without really um, pursuing treatment first, and so that looked a little different. But if if you could describe for us a little bit, flesh out how you got to the point of both being a green light and saying yes to adoption and um, talk about, you know, how you would describe the process of surrendering your dream to have a biological child. I know the wolves, you had Ellie at that point, but just how did you, um, how did you get to that point of saying yes and, and maybe um, just surrendering to the Lord that, that God-given desire to have a biological child? I think, here we go. Um, I think going to the class was really helpful to us at the, that Watermark host, the intro to foster and adopt. I think it just kind of like Jessica mentioned, just getting all the facts and kind of learning um, what the Bible tells you about it, um, how it all works, um, the differences, um, international, domestic, and how much it costs and kind of the, just kind of really learning and talking to other people that have gone through the process themselves and understanding the ups and downs, the hard things, the easy things. And I think that um, really for me, I would say I had come to terms, I think just over with time and prayer, God prepared my heart that when we were finally both green lights, that it was just something that I knew that he had good plans for. And I, I don't really know that I have like a key of like, okay, I remember this day or this thing happening where it was just like, okay, I'm ready. It just, it was like over time, I think taking actionable um, steps and like widening our circle and going to these classes and talking to people. Um, I think God prepared my heart and, um, am I, was that in answering your question? Yeah. So, um, so I think early in the adoption process, I, I really wasn't on board totally. I, I couldn't wrap my head around like what it would be like to father someone else's uh, child i feel bad saying that now because yeah um our son is incredible um but it's funny how god works our um couple in our community group adopted i think their first child right and we got to see just how incredible that was and um there really wasn't anything to be uh, fearful of and um, you know we got shaped by the Lord we got shaped by um, the Jaguars and um, mm -hmm. uh, that got got me over the hump yeah yeah, yeah. thank so. you Zach. just add real quickly um, <clears throat> there was two aha moments I think that one for Jess and one for me um, this is not like a holy thing for me to say but I started to get like 
really frustrated when people would just tell us to do the easy thing. So as soon as people would say, like, you should do this, it's easier, it made me want to steer the other way. <laughs> so, like, when we were, like, having the first treatment conversation, I'm already like, let's adopt. Let's just take the toughest choice, so to speak, just because all these people are saying everything else is easy. And so that was kind of a, a rebellious motive. But um, we were in the intro class, and Jess had an aha moment when they posed this phrase in like the second week that's like, what if um, adoption isn't your provision for a child, but um, But your infertility is God's provision for a child who needs a home. And like that just reshaped the idea that being a mom was about me getting what I wanted. Yeah. And that this was a greater purpose. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. We're soft. <laughs> Um, I, I felt like for Kirsten and I, we, we went to the intro to adoption class um, sort of in the middle of our IVF journey and actually went to the first week and decided, no, this is like not, not yet. Uh, <laughs> this is, you know, we still were on the, the biological child. Um, we still had hopes and desires for that. Um, and I think what eventually just sort of shaped us is like the, the toll that the treatment path took on Kirsten. She got sort of to a point where she was like, like, I just can't do this. It's a full-time job and it's medically, is it a taxing on her body? Um, but for me, I think the big thing was like, um, and, I, and I guess like really for both of us is like, we wanted a child. We wanted to be um, mom and dad and like having, you know, a, a child with the same genetics wasn't as important as having, a child who um, would, you know, really the child is not our own, it's, it's God's child, and we just want to raise them to look like Jesus, not necessarily like us. Um, and then I think just like meeting with other people and hearing the same thing, that, uh, like, yeah, it's, it, they're your child. Are really good. There's really no light topics. I was trying to maybe take us to a lighter topic. There, there are not many here, um, but I don't want our time to slip away without coming back to just. Um, we talk about this a lot in Shiloh, but if you could share with us a bit about, you know, I, in all of your stories, you were you were walking with the Lord like you were a believer walking into this struggle, but. Even so, share with us some of how your infertility or pregnancy losses impacted your view of God and might, maybe why you might be experiencing something um, that was so difficult. Y'all don't fight over each other. <laughs> or did you have to, you know, was it just like, okay, in this world we'll have trouble and this is our trouble? Or did it, you know, did it cause you, how did it cause you to rely more upon truths you already knew? Or what were there questions you considered that maybe you hadn't considered before in light of, of what you're experiencing? Um, I can start. I think um, kind of talking to like Jessica said on, and this was echoed at our table, is that um, everybody's journey is so different. But I think for me personally, um, infertility 
you know, at 25 was the first kind of, um, in my mind, now looking back, I don't think it was, but um, the first kind of thing I felt like, wow, this is really, really hard, and I'm not, I didn't plan this. This is not what I thought my life would look like. And I, you know, felt like, why me? And, you know, woe is me. And I think um, now having lived 11 more years of life since then, I realize that was a small drop on my map. And I feel like God was preparing us for so many other things, cancer, death in the family, um, just so many other things. And I I think that um, it was kind of just seeing how he is faithful in the little things and the big things, and he is producing hope and perseverance in us when we go through these trials and they're not going to be wasted because you're, um, you know, the Bible tells us we're going to face troubles in this world. And I think I didn't necessarily know that what that felt like until infertility. And I feel like there was other things that I, you know, probably should have processed at a younger age that were troublesome. But as an adult walking truly with the Lord um, and my own faith, it was the first time I had to really like figure out what that looked like. I think I would echo that a lot. This was like my first like trial, like trial that I had ever really walked through. Um, and I think we had watched um, co-workers and friends walk through miscarriages, some who got divorces. I mean, we had watched, we'd watched that prior to us trying to have kids. And we were like, we will, not, we will not let this get in the way of our marriage, get in the way of our relationship with the Lord. And I think relationship with the Lord was like I always knew that the Lord had plans and that his plans are greater than mine and like no plan of his is thwarted like I know all these things and if I'm honest though there were moments where like I know this and I believe this and like all my hope is in this and then there were moments where I was like why don't I just throw all this out the window like I'm believing all this I'm doing all this but it's not changing anything like it wasn't all this like high all the time like I wish I could say that it was but like I just went through, like, I know that God has good plans for me, and but I had to come to the realization of, like, his plans, while they're good, I may not view them as good right now. Um, and I think that was, like, I can look back on it now, and I can see, like, man, trials that we've gone through in the last few years are seem so much smaller now, and it's only because, like, I learned to rely on the Lord and something that was hard. And it doesn't mean that I'm like walking through it all well still, but like I learned when I'm gravitating towards other things instead of the Lord or when I'm reaching for that control instead of just like giving it to the Lord. Like I learned those signs um, Mm -hmm. through our struggles. And I think it, like there were just so many points where it was also like, I also went through points where I I cannot get through this without the Lord. Like, it made me fully realize what truly relying on the Lord looks like. Because I just never had to do that. I never had to do that before. I chose to do that before. But this was the first time that I, like, had to do it. Because I could not pick myself up off the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that we, uh, or I... Um, got to a point, what's so great about um, doing these and being here is, and y'all do such a good job of impressing on everyone that 
this is like infertility and miscarriage, but broadly applicable to all suffering. So we still have these discussions all the time. Um, but my, my mind goes to Roman 8, Romans 8, um, when uh, Paul's talking about how you're co-heirs with Christ when you suffer uh, with him. And so um, that was a big aha for us, or for me. And um, I think of, there's a, a theologian who just passed away. His name is Frederick Buechner. And he had like a horrendous life and uh, would write really great books about it. They were really depressing, but they were really good. And he would talk about all the different ways that people will deal with their pain. And most of them are like unhealthy in really terrible ways. Like you can uh, choose to just suppress it, push it down, pretend like it's not there, um, which will throw up walls and bubble up later. Or you can um, turn into a joke where you just kind of laugh at yourself for all the pain that you've gone through. Um, you can turn it into competitive pain where someone shares their, like tonight, someone shares their story and you're just thinking, man, that's bad, but I've had it way worse. Uh, all these like really negative ways that you can steward or that you can handle your pain. And he says the, the best way to do it is to, to be a good steward of your pain. And I think that's what Paul is getting at in Romans 8. Um, and so when I, uh, Jess is going to be annoyed. I talk about this all the time. But the way I think about it is when I get to heaven and we meet all of the um, apostles and the saints and the guys who are martyred for their faith. Um, I want to be able to look at them and have something in common. Um, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> um, yeah, I want I, I want to be able to to look at them and say, hey, I I all my lot might have been different than yours, but I have my convictions. Um, I didn't become hateful to the people who love me, who love me. Um, and I drew closer to God. So, yeah. uh, anyway, this is a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> that is how I would answer that question. So good. He also learned how to express his emotions better through this journey. Yeah. Adoption helps that too. Yeah. Um, I would say um, one of the things I'm grateful for, for having walked through infertility is um, just having a better um, eternal mindset. And so I, at times I would get to the point of being like, you know, especially after our infertility, miscarriages, and then the failed adoption, it was like, it just felt like I was never going to become a mom. Um, and we've all been there and felt that way. And the truth is, you know, God didn't guarantee children to us. He didn't, not in this lifetime. He didn't guarantee that I was going to become a mom. Um, and so, um, knowing that the question for, to ask myself was, well, am I still going to believe that God is good? And am I still going to follow him and trust him? Um, even if he chooses to never make me a mom. And for that, like, I would have to picture my life never becoming a mom. And um, while I knew on some level that that was probably unrealistic because, you know, the reality is, is is if you pursue adoption, you probably will adopt eventually and become a parent. 
Um, and so while that was a uh, logistical and practical, probable reality, um, that's where I would go is, is if I never get this thing that I want in this lifetime, is that going to be okay? And for me, the answer was, yes, it is okay because I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Um, if Jesus doesn't return before then. And so, um, my eternity is fixed and it will be perfect. And, um, I, I knew that. And so just kind of carrying forward that eternal mindset, Patrick and I talk a lot about it. Um, when we're talking about different things going on in our lives and, um, just to continue to reset your mind on that. Um, that's what marks us differently as believers from the rest of the world. No pressure, Doug, but if you want to share one little nugget. What, if Kirsten were here, what would she say? What does she know more securely about the Lord for having walked through this? I don't know what Kirsten would say. But it's okay if you say what Doug, Doug would say. <laughs> um, what, what I would say is just that, that God's plans are good. Um, I think this is the first time I ended up with a like where God's plans were different than, than my plans that I had for myself and just realizing that, you know, now that God's plans are good. And I, I believe that and thought that, but I, I mean, through infertility, it's just hard. It is hard to believe in the moment. Um, and, um, yeah. yeah. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. Um, we did not leave a lot of time for questions, um, and it kills me to think that maybe you had something in the audience that you were burning um, to share. So um, you either can raise your hand now, or you can approach whomever you might have asked your question to if there was something out about a specific story. Um, I'll give you a minute to do that if anyone has something. Yeah. There, yeah. So when we got on a green light to go forward with adoption, um, we were both ready to do it. But when you get into adoption, as someone else mentioned, you talk about open versus closed. We were both landed on open. Then you get into what types of cases are you willing to accept? And we were not on the same page on that. And that was really hard for me. And I would get different cases and then I would be like, oh, it's better than the last one. And so we would kind of go back and forth on the pros and cons and do research and talk to doctors. And um, I would say that went on for probably three to six months and it was really hard. And it was, I mean, I would say we even told our community group, it's probably one of the hardest parts of our marriage because we both wanted to add to the family, but it felt for me at the time, it felt like I wanted it more than he did. Like I was willing to go further to get there than he was. And I felt like he was putting his foot down and I didn't understand why, like, why don't you have more faith? And truly on the other side, I can see that like God worked it out and we have the child we were supposed to have. And I can say that with full confidence, but I know um, it was really hard waiting for him to get there, um, to be on the same page on what kind of cases we were willing to accept. Yeah, so it was two things for me. One, getting comfortable with adoption took a while, um, but I did. And then uh, we started to get cases, and you, like, get a ton of information about the mother or the father, or you don't, and so you're guessing. 
um, you might get a, you would get a lot of information on the child, and I would get like way in the weeds. And uh, there's a lot of things that I, I, I just struggled to get comfortable with. And uh, then our, our debates sort of like oftentimes is like who's winning? Like you know this is we've forgotten why we're doing this. Like why why does this make more sense for our family? Um, and the whole adoption process probably took for us maybe a year and a half. Um, and I think it was the Lord was working on me. She was working on me every day. Uh, and our, our community was, you know, they were uh, asking me good questions. And, and um, uh, that took a long time. And, and really, I think we just got fatigued with the whole adoption process and literally said, like, we're done. And then uh, I may be getting it out of order, but within two weeks, Friday night, we got a phone call and all the issues I was concerned about for this case weren't there. there we didn't know anything about anything. And uh, uh, we prayed about it and... Uh, I didn't even have the opportunity to get analysis paralysis on this. And, uh, you know, 24 hours later, we were signing paperwork on the hood of my card and Presby, and they brought out Oliver, and the rest is history, and it was a beautiful thing. But it did take us a long time to, to get on the same page. And uh, I don't know if that helps or but that's just, that was our experience. Thank you for asking that. Oh, go ahead, Yeah, Susan. I think not infertility or miscarriage related but like we've had decisions in the past where we've been on separate pages for six plus months and I think one of the things someone told me one time was like I need to sit there and pray that um either we will be aligned or my heart will be changed to be aligned with him because ultimately my husband is um the head of our household and I have seen for me I have seen my heart change and things that like, I was like dead set, like you're wrong, I'm right. Like, this is what we're gonna do. And I've seen my heart be changed. Like I didn't get my old, you know, what I initially wanted, but like, it's like praying, it's not praying that you choose one, that you win on that. It's like praying that like, ultimately whatever decision is made, like we are aligned on um, in that process. Thank you. Oh, we're going to share again. One, one more thing. Add. More I, I just think you, you've, hello. Uh, you've just got to have patience and grace with each other because these are huge decisions and uh, it just takes people longer sometimes and that's okay. Um, so don't be discouraged if you're not on the same page. It just, yeah. it may take a little bit longer and you got plenty of time. It may not feel like it, but you got a lot of time to, to figure it out. Yeah. I love that you asked that question and the way y'all shared because we talk about, um, you know, we can't know the mind of God. We can't know whether his will will include children or not, but we know he cares about unity in our marriage. And so that's always something that we can pursue and know with that, that that's within his will. And so I love that y'all talked about patience and um, and asking God to work on not your spouse's desire, change his heart, but, you know, Lord, bring me into alignment with what you would 
would have me do. Um, we could talk all night, um, but we can't. And so um, I'm going to tell you about some um, upcoming events before we close in a prayer. I've asked one of these gentlemen to close us out. But before then, um, I want to let you know that there will be another 10-week study in the fall. And um, also, it, at various seasons, we also have a, an amended session or uh, study that's for miscarriage specific. Um, but over the summer, while we're on break between studies, um, there will be a once a month, we call them Shiloh Connects, they'll be here on the Watermark campus, and they're a more informal um, gathering where we're just sitting in a circle. There will be one that includes couples, um, probably two that include just women, but um, we want to make those super easy ways for you just engage with leaders on our team and one another, and they're a good on-ramp. Um, if you're considering joining one of our studies in the future. I will say once you have registered for a Shiloh event, you will be on our listserv in perpetuity until you unsubscribe yourself. So um, I do have the dates for those connects in front of me here that Julie sent me. Um, June 7th is a women's connect. July 12th is uh, a couples connect and then we're back to women only in August on August 9th. But like I said, you'll get email reminders about that. And um, we just always want you to know, like you can come to those things. I mean, you could come tonight. You could have walked in. You could you could tell us five minutes before you're coming. You don't have to, that we are here, that, that this is the heart of why we do what we do is to interact um, with people that that need to know that God sees and cares for them. So um, those are really informal events, and we hope you will not um, struggle alone, and we'll come connect with other people over the summer. And um, there are some great, do we have our community group resource on the back page to look at? Yes, that's available online. Um, but I, if we got had more time, we would have fleshed out some, and y'all all talked about your community groups and what was difficult about relating to others. But that's a real actionable step you could take tonight, is looking at that um, resource online if you are running into the same kind of ruts dealing with other people. And so that guide is really going to help um, people that love you know how to love you well when you're struggling, and it's also going to help you um, learn what you know how you can be. Um, a better friend and, and um, help you know how you can grow and so it doesn't become this one-sided situation um, we want to struggle well in community in the midst of this so um, again thank y'all and um, will one of you gentlemen pray for us as we leave of course I love it we, we didn't touch on it um, or maybe we did um, one thing I would encourage y'all to do as you're going through uh, your doctor's visits and trying to figure out what treatment you're going to do is uh, sort of develop your convictions outside the doctor's office. Don't go to an appointment and feel compelled to make a big decision on IVF or IUI or any other procedure. Um, the doctors are so good at what they do and they're doing their job, but oftentimes I think we felt pressured to like sign up, like their doc, I won't name her name. Our doctor just like, I had no idea what she was saying half the time, but I would hear baby and we're like, okay, well, let's sign us up for that. And um, that is not effective and uh, you know, take good notes, ask good questions, go home, process it. And it's okay to wait a week or two to really like 
decide on what the next step is. Mm -hmm. uh, so just thought I'd share that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. We got to pray. Okay. <laughs> Lord, um, thank you so much for um, this ministry and the women and men that um, put it together. And we we pray that um, what was said and heard uh, here tonight would honor you and encourage. Uh, this group and um, Lord we know that you're you're faithful you love us um, and you know we pray that uh, even though this season's difficult that um, we would see your love and uh, love our spouse as well and uh, we love you Lord amen <laughs>